The Start On Demand. On demand. It was a dramatic scene in Melfort, Saskatchewan, and CJOB's Richard Cloutier says, in his 25-year career, he's never seen anything like it when Jaskarat Singh Sidhu, the truck driver in the Humboldt Broncos crash, apologized to the families at his sentencing hearing. You will hear those emotional details today. February has begun, which means Black History Month has begun. We'll speak to the chairperson of the Black History Month Winnipeg Celebration Committee. 1.38 billion chicken wings will be eaten during the Super Bowl on Sunday. And that's just in the United States. We'll tell you how many football fields you'll have to run to burn off those calories. And that knowledge of calories made us sad because we inhaled many calories today, courtesy of St. James Burger and Chip Co. to help us kick off La Poutine Week in Winnipeg and across the country. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, February 1st podcast for The Start. We start this hour, Loren McNabb in Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's where Jazz Curette Singh Sudhu said yesterday that he takes full responsibility for the crash that killed 16 members of the Humboldt Broncos and injured another 13 the truck driver standing before a packed room yesterday to offer, in his own words, an apology, saying to the many parents and family members there, quote, I can't even imagine what you guys are going through or what you have been through. I have taken the most valuable things of your life. I am so, 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 so sorry about this pain. Adding, I take full responsibility of what has happened. It happened because of my lack of experience. Here's how parents Mark and Marilee Cross reacted following that moment. It would be nice to know exactly what happened, but I understand that that must be a very, very difficult thing for him to have to deal with. He's just a little bit older than my son. He had to have a lot of courage to stand up and address us all. A lot of tears in that courtroom yesterday. Richard Cloutier was also there to hear that apology and joins us from Melfort now. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Tell us a little bit what it was like and, and what you saw and, and witnessed there as, as Sidhu turned and tried to address those family members. Well, it was a routine court hearing up until that time where you had Crown outline their case in the morning, the defense in the afternoon. And just as we thought, it was going to wrap up for a reserve decision, the judge turning to Mr. Sidhu, and she asks him, is there anything you would like to say? He paused for a moment and got up. At that point, among reporters row, everybody was, oh, he's going to actually say something. Because many of us have covered court cases before where defense have put out the compelling reasons why there should be a reduced sentence, but in the end, the accused does not speak at all. Here, he's offering an explanation, not turning to the judge, but turning to the moms and the dads. And meantime, the moms and dads who were to the left of us in this gymnasium-turned-provincial courtroom, leaning forward to the tips of their chairs. And it took him close to a minute to muster those words. He spoke softly and as clearly as he possibly could. And as soon as he said that he realized and he heard the kids crying, that's when the wailing started amongst some of those parents. And it was really, really tough to take. But it was one of those moments, guys, in my 25 years, I have not witnessed that in a courtroom. And I've covered a lot of court cases over the years. I have not seen that. And you heard two of the parents afterwards, that really sums up the reaction to it. It was just one of those moments where there was that continuum of we forgive, we're getting to forgiveness, we don't forgive at all, but suddenly this was a human being throwing himself before the court, taking full responsibility for his actions. He actually, I think what he said in court, Richard, and you can correct me here, when he talked about hearing the kids crying, it was because he hadn't known until he got out of his truck that he had even done what he had done is that right he says he came out of the truck correct i heard the kids crying and, and, and that's when he was like oh my gosh 
what happened? He hadn't realized it was a bus. And what had happened here was that he was in that intersection, blew through the stop sign, and it was the bus that hit him, right? And hadn't realized because his cab was thrown onto its side. So he gets out and hears the kids crying. And that's when he realizes it took him, he said, a moment to realize that it was a bus. And uh, the emotion that uh, went through that courtroom was something that I have rarely witnessed in, in my career. Richard, I can tell you this, and I conveyed this earlier this morning, uh, the conveyance of the emotion firsthand must have been unbelievable to witness. But uh, Jackie came home last night and we were talking about this, and she was conveying your conveyance to me mm. and got emotional just talking about how you were sharing the story with us. This is going to resonate with, with millions of Canadians, I suspect. It, it, I think, and it should, because with what Sidhu said in the courtroom, combined with the explanation his defense gave, you know, it runs from, from sorrow to anger. And uh, if I for a moment can just say that I got angry in that courtroom when his lawyer explained that he took a course for a week, mm -hmm. was buddied up with another trucker for two weeks, and was able to drive a tractor trailer with two trailers on it in a matter of three weeks. And he was on his own for a week and a bit before this crash occurred. And he admitted he wasn't experienced enough. And I'm thinking, how many truckers are on the road with this type of experience? And I realize that this is a country where the industry has been short and there are some fringe players in the industry and this company will be held accountable in a Calgary courtroom starting next week. But my God, how many others or near misses could there have been in the last several years? It, it takes a lot for this to happen given the fact of the high speeds here. But I was just awestruck that something like this could happen in our country, that somebody could get behind the wheel so, so easily. Richard Cloutier joining us live from Melfort, Saskatchewan. Richard, thank you very much for everything you've brought us this week in this coverage. Uh, when are we going to see you back in Winnipeg? I think uh, I'm going to try to make it later today. Like, I'm hearing the snow in the forecast, and I'm taking the yellowhead home. Am I going to be stranded out here in, in rural Manitoba, rural Saskatchewan? Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. We start this half hour because it's a new month. It's the new February specifically. Winnipeg set to celebrate Black History Month 2019. And we are joined live on the phone this morning by Nadia Thompson, who is a Black History Month Celebration Committee chairperson. Nadia, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us today. So it's the 38th annual Black History Month celebration, and the kickoff is today. What's happening today? So today we are doing our 2019 kickoff with our breakfast with the mayor. Or sorry, it's lunch. It's lunch this year. <laughs> we are there from 12 to 1 <laughs> early. <laughs> Yeah, we got you early this morning. Thank you for joining us early. When you when you agreed to do the interview at 6.30, I thought, hey. N Maddie hasn't had breakfast yet, so she's thinking about breakfast. Whereas in our world, it actually feels like it's time for lunch because we've been right. up a few more hours. So don't, okay. don't worry. Go ahead. I'm to get up with you guys more often. <laughs> so you have lunch with the mayor. And is that is the part of that to have a conversation with him about uh, things that you want to point out to him or talk about? Or, like Walk us through what you hope to get out of that lunch. Generally, it's actually, it's an introduction from the mayor's office in City Hall who has welcomed us in to have a kind of just a kickoff to say what the mayor's office has to contribute to Black History Month. And then we talk about what we are doing for the month. And it's more of a networking and kind of a little get together so that we all know what's going on for the month. Um, different organizations support that event and they come out and they are able to talk to some of the different um, government officials and to the mayor directly about what's going to happen during Black History Month. Natty, do you still meet people that are surprised that we celebrate Black History Month in Canada? I think a lot of people I know would associate this as an American celebration. You are 100% correct. 
there is a lot of American history out there, but there is so much and such diverse Canadian Black history that we don't know about. And a lot of our um, function is to get that information out. We want to educate people, not only in our city, but in our country, that there is so much of our history that um, came just from Canada. Um, the American history is out there. We get it all into the books in our schools. They have to set the American history down. But there's so much about Canadian history that we don't know about. And that's what our organization is about, spreading the knowledge of Canadian, American, and world um, Black history. Can you tell us one of the things that you might share with people that you think is important? Like when, when you say there's so many things that Canadians don't know about, is there an example of that where you might be telling the story and someone says quite regularly to you, oh, I didn't know that that was the case in Canada? Um, yeah, well, we talk about some things even in Winnipeg itself. We are a major trailblazer in Black history. We have, of course, the first police chief, first Black police chief is from Winnipeg. Um, I believe the first deputy mayor um, of color is from Winnipeg. And we have a few other um, firsts here in Canada. A lot of our inventions um, that we go through at our history lesson, at our youth symposium, we talk about inventions, and a lot of them are from Canada. Um, Of course, you have the historical $10 note with Miss Viola Desmond. Um, That is a Canadian figure and with having the um, Human Rights Museum also on that bill, that is another historical thing for Canada. It's a great connection, right? And and you mentioned uh, celebrating Winnipeg a little bit. So what are some of the other events that maybe we should mark down on, on the calendar before we let you run here? Well, you should definitely mark down that we are having our opening ceremony. Um, the official opening is this Sunday, February 3rd. We are at 1425 Manitoba Avenue. We have a luncheon at the Jamaican Association on February 10th. We also have our cooking classes at Sobe Extra um, on the 6th of February and the 20th of February. We have our history lesson on the holiday Monday which is a fantastic family event, free, come on down with your people and we have a great day. And we have our annual concert. It's a community concert. We have local artists. We have international artists sometimes. And we have people that come in from all over just to see um, some wonderful music and celebrate together. And that's on the 23rd of Saturday. So we've got everything from young and old. We've got something for everybody. Check out our website. We also have uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere, so you can't miss us. Looking at the Government of Canada's website, and for 2019, the theme of the government's Black History Month campaign is Black Canadian Youth, Boundless, Rooted, Mm -hmm. and Proud. What would your message be to Black Canadian youth? Get out there and make yourself known. Be a, a figure in history. You can make your own history. We've got a lot of stuff that is not in our schools be a voice in your school and bring Black history alive. Bring it out. Share it with everybody. We are all together in this, and there's only one way to do it, and it's you got to speak up. Do Black youth in Canada face the same challenges that Black youth in the United States face? I believe so. I, it may not be as verbal here in, in Canada, but it's definitely a challenge for our youth. Um, being more diverse, being more different, Um, makes you special and you should know that you are special. There's nothing wrong with you um, for being different. Different is a great thing. Um, Multiculturalism is big here in Manitoba, in Canada, and you should embrace it. We have a lot of different programming for our youth and most of our things that we do as an organization is directed to our youth because we believe that you guys are our future And without you, we are nothing. So we want you guys to be involved. So if you want to volunteer, if you want to take part in anything, please, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our email is bhmwinnipeg at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Black History Month Winnipeg. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We have a blog spot. Um, We're everywhere that you guys are going to be. I know that we have some fantastic schools doing events this year. Grand Park School is. Vincent Massey is, the universities are, there's events at University of Manitoba for University of Winnipeg. 
we're everywhere. So we are definitely putting our, our print on history here in Winnipeg. Well, and it is indeed a full calendar of events this month. And again, more information at bhmwinnipeg.com and at bhmwinnipeg on Twitter and Instagram. Nadia Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the visit so early this morning. Thank you. Enjoy your coffee and your day. Winnipeg Drive safe and bundle up. <laughs> Nadia Thompson is the Black History Month Celebration Committee chairperson joining us live on The Start. I just noticed an event coming up on Saturday, February 16th, Black History Month Youth Debate and Research Challenge. And it's taking place at uh, Truth and Life Worship Center, 51 Richfield Avenue. And the question is, black privilege, mm. does it exist? I'm going to mark this one down. I think I might like to check this out. Yeah, 11 to 3 p.m., so it's a good time for folks to get out. If you have a little time over lunch to have a good conversation, maybe learn something too. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb have been sitting on this one for a little while. Words we hate. This came up, I guess, what, a couple of weeks ago, Greg? Yes, at least. Yeah. So we've I'm been... trying to remember how it came no, up. No, I couldn't. I think someone just said the word, and then we all cringed, and then that was that. <laughs> what the, word was that? I've got to turn your mics on. Sorry, guys. There, what word was that, Loren? moist. Someone used the word moist. I, I can't remember why or how. I don't know what the context was, but in just about any uh, context other than as it pertains to baking, that's a disgusting word. What about uh, music? What about the band? Well, they've got some good... What, what about the former <laughs> union leader, Paul Moist? <laughs> See, you wouldn't say it that way. Paul's a great guy. He but, is. When, when, when he you, could be listening right now and saying, Mac, But when you say his name, his name's not bad. It's just, uh, oh, that's real moist. Yeah. Like, don't. Well, I told you I've got proof that I'm not alone. And let me tell you this, 20%. They did a study on this. I'll read this to you. What kind of stupid scientist does a study on this? I was probably so a poll. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you want to hear the facts or not, man? (laughs) Our our favorite news outlet, BuzzFeed, uh, (laughs) posted this, Why Moist is the Worst Word Ever. It received more than 4 million views. And then the New Yorker asked readers to nominate a word to scrub from the English language back in 2012. The overwhelming consensus was to ditch moist. 20% of respondents said get rid of that word and that's what prompted i mean these weren't exactly the biggest educational uh, facilities on the planet that did these uh, studies it was uh, oberlin college in ohio and trinity university in san antonio the point is <laughs> the point is there is proof that people just detest this word and the younger and more neurotic the study participants were the more likely they were to dislike the word. So I guess I'm younger than I thought and more neurotic than I admit to be. I wouldn't let those statistics fool you as to who you really are. But it's kind of interesting because my oldest daughter, she's in your camp, Greg. She like that absolutely word hates that word. And of course, her little daughters now, and now that they know that, they just. <laughs> oh, mommy, my hands are moist. <laughs> now, Loren here has. Rather than tell us what she has, she has pulled a pronouncer. So I'm excited. I don't know what it is. I don't need the pronouncer. I just... just For dramatics. Yes, it's for dramatic. Literally. Yes! Literally. 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 I just... Literally. It's overused and it doesn't need to be said. And I've heard kids in our house, like my six-year-old's friends, be like, no, literally. Like, I was skating down the ice. I was like, of course you were literally. Like, it doesn't... You're playing hockey. You're playing hockey. That's what you do. You don't need to say literally. So it's more a usage thing than uh, the way it sounds like moist is. Yeah, it doesn't... Like, moist is more like a... Cringeworthy. (laughs) A connotation. Whereas literally is just so overused. Yeah. It just, it's like like. I'm right. I actually that that's my word, and it's not again. I'm not the sound, but just the fact that it it's so overused. It's become the most overused word in the English language. I remember talking to someone who used the word like three or four times in a single sentence. I was out for a walk, and like literally, I saw this guy who was literally, literally right down the block. No, he was just down the block. <laughs> if you say that's where he was, and that's where he was, he was just 
yeah. on the block. Yeah, yeah like, it just it doesn't. It's not supposed. It was never like I don't even know how it happened in terms of conversations and why it would be brought in the way it is now. It's just become an amplifier. For example, Correct. if it's, if you say it's raining cats and dogs outside. And then say, no, it is literally raining cats and dogs that's outside. Not. And there are cats and, and dogs no, falling not. from the sky. <laughs> that's different. Yeah, that yeah. is literally that raining a, cats and dogs. Applicable. Uh, is literally maybe replaced like? Well, unfortunately, like is still is like it? around like a lot. And yeah. it like literally is put together now in sentences. Like I was outside. <laughs> like I was having a smoke. Like uh, there were a lot of people wandering <laughs> around. And like they were going to the mall. And oh. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what he yeah. sounds like off air, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, he has to script everything, so he's not like talking like that all the time. One, of our, one of our listeners, I just wanted to throw in, uh, says that they don't like the word uh, hate. Ugh. I prefer dislike. Oh, interesting. We were Is it in, my mom? Yeah, exactly. When I was growing up, we weren't allowed to say yeah. hate. We had to say I dislike intensely because yeah. she's her point was you don't hate that. You don't. Hate onions. You just dislike them. Like it stopped. Use that. It was like overuse of the word hate. You're hating everything, right? Well, and then of course the word literally gets tied to hate. I literally hate everything. <laughs> I think it was my wife's mom who had this saying: "There are people you, you don't ever hate. People there are just people you don't get to know." Mm. Oh wow, that is a yeah. that's very spiritual. View. Yeah. By the way, I hate onions. Literally, <laughs> 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 do you yeah. literally hate them? Yeah. Jeff? Uh, the word I don't like hearing is renal. Oh, oh. <laughs> just say, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, no, just say kidney for <laughs> what it means. Why would you say renal? And it sounds too much like something else. The other one I don't care for is uh, selfie because that sounds like we let a four-year-old just pick that word and we're all going with it. Just say photo. Yeah, or Sally. No. Oh, that's. Oh, for celebration and oh, hockey. God, yeah. Who's going who's gonna to Sally first? Yeah, oh. No, no, Drives no, me nuts. no. That's a thing? Yes. Yeah. Sally? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sweet Sally. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the NHL teams are doing that on their social media yeah. now. Oh, Who's going to be the first Sally of the night? And yeah. so, and in hockey, there was the saucer pass, which was a a, a pass where you, you lift the puck off the ice. And right. that's, oh, there's lots of sauce. On, th- yeah. There's all so many things in sports. Joanne had a good one. It's a word I don't like either. It's slacks. <laughs> but why? Because it, it's a pretty old-fashioned word yeah. now, right? Yeah. <laughs> It has visions, and my grandmother, I know, is not listening right now, but my grandmother's a little bit bigger, and she used to wear these really tight-fitting slacks <laughs> and, and made of, like, 100% polyester and just would accentuate certain parts of were her that tan? should be accentuated. And they were tan. <laughs> exactly. Slacks. So it just, yeah, it just... Fortune. <laughs> Okay, this one, I have to blame Julie Buckingham because there's one day she was talking like, you know, Sid the Sloth from Ice Age. You know, he has that, yep. Sid the Sloth, you know, he has that yeah. uh, thing. So anyway, she's <laughs> talking well like that and I, I'm, I'm going like, how do you talk like that? And she's like, you need to use a lot of saliva. <laughs> and the way she said saliva like that, it just grossed me out. <laughs> so that, that'd be my word. Oh. Wow. Saliva. saliva. Someone else uh, has made a good suggestion. Ooze. Yeah. The word ooze. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had someone send us a message on Instagram. <laughs> they said, it's not even a word, it's a name. And uh, I, for whatever reason, I hate the name Celeste. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, right. oh, so to all the, for all the Celestes out there. Including my goddaughter, <laughs> Celeste. Aww. I took that a little personally. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, I, I, I kind of like the name Celeste. That's a whole other conversation, though. I often think people don't like names because it they must have something in their past where, like, that person was mean to them or yeah. they have a story about that person and therefore all Rebecca's or something. You know what I mean? Like, is yes. Lizzie's. It has oh, a I personal like connection. Yeah. Unthaw. Is one oh, well, that that's because that, it's, it's not a thing. <laughs> oh, dethaw. That gets. I also don't like anyways. Anyways is not a word. Anyway. But anyways, it's just a made-up thing. And we'll close it Irregardless. With, we'll close it with also a text a from somebody who says words that make me cringe. Honey, we need to talk. You can text <laughs> us at 204-780-6868. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It's a football game of note on Sunday, isn't there, Greg? A pretty big game. Might have heard of it. Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, takes place on a television near you if you can't make it to Atlanta, which is almost all of us. And unlike the past couple of years, the polar vortex that is SubSim 
will prevent most of us from seeing the multi-million dollar extravaganza that is the Super Bowl commercial, unless you turn in, tune in to the right channel. Ads during the Super Bowl get a lot of hype. They're an important part of the overall spectacle for a lot of people, and viewers look forward to watching them. For Canadian viewers, this has been a problem. They didn't see the same ads, or we didn't see the same ads, as those seen in the U.S. because they were replaced with Canadian ads. Do you remember this one, Brett? Terry Tate, office (laughs) linebacker, courtesy of Reebok. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey, buddy. Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Terry. Hey, Janice! But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. He fits right in here. That's a low distance call, Doug! To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us 10 Terry Tates. You wanna play games, Gene? Well, when it's game time, it's pay time, baby! Uh, from uh, 2003. So if you do remember Terry and his hilarious, if not violent, office habits, it's because of the internet, not because you saw it live. In 2017, the ability to see those commercials live changed, and the CRTC allowed Canadians to see the commercials by eliminating the ability of the Canadian broadcaster to inject Canadian commercials into their stream of the game. Believe it or not... It's the the USMCA that has created a situation where, depending on what station you watch, you will or will not see those commercials from the United States. Everything I've been hearing and reading up until this morning, Brett, Loren, was indicating that we would not see those commercials anywhere. Because of the new trade agreement? Correct. But... This from the CRTC dated January 21st seems to suggest that there will be a hybrid of the situation as it was for the last two years and decades before that. Here's from the CRTC real quick. Since Super Bowl 51 in 2017, simultaneous substitution is no longer allowed during the big game. This means that viewers tuning in to the Canadian channel airing the game see Canadian ads while those tuning into the U.S. channel see the American ads. What about Super Bowl 53? On February 3rd, 2019, Canadians will be able to watch U.S. commercials starting at kickoff if they subscribe to the U.S. station broadcasting the game, CBS in this case for Super Bowl 53. Keep in mind that the U.S. commercials will only be available during the game from the kickoff to the final play and not during the pre- or post-game shows. So just watch the American channel. Correct. That's, that's that's good. It. Yeah, I like it. Good. Okay, I'll have to remember that. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, and as we've been telling you all morning, a jury has found Brian Kyle Thomas guilty of killing a Winnipeg bus driver two years ago. That verdict coming down late yesterday afternoon after just two hours of del- deliberations from that eight women, four men jury. Irvin Jubal Fraser was stabbed to death in the final minutes of his shift in 2017. And it was a murder that ignited a series of conversations, not just in Winnipeg, but I think right across this country, about overall safety on Winnipeg buses. Conversations the Transit Union hopes will continue this morning, writing in a statement following the verdict that, quote, our thoughts are first with the members of Irvine Jubal Fraser's family. They have gone through so much in the past few years, and we know how difficult this trial has been for them, and we hope that this brings closure to them. Certainly, we know how difficult these two years have been for the entire Transit family. First of all, we want to be clear that every worker has a right to safe and respectful workplace. No one deserves to be assaulted or killed on the job. As a union, we will never stop fighting and speaking out for the rights of our members to work in a safe workplace. We will continue to push for a workplace where our operators and passengers feel safe. And we welcome the collaboration of the public, all levels of the public and our members in working together to reach that goal. Now, the union has said before, it's not just about the safety of bus drivers. This was President Aleem Chowdhury back in November. I think it's getting to a point where we need to protect everybody 
and like again, uh, once again, I'll go back to the council and uh, the mayor. It is time for them to step it up. City Hall just yesterday approved a plan to install bus shields in more than 600 buses in our city. There are also more cameras. Here's the question. Is this helping you feel more safe? I don't know how many of us in this room use transit on a regular basis, but I know from talking to many people that outside of the convenience and the scheduling and the the lack of dependability of transit, Right there, 1B, and it may actually be 1A, is how comfortable, how safe people feel on the bus. Do you think it's a time of day thing? No, I don't. Like, would it matter if, if you're taking it in the, you know, in the middle of the night? This happened in the middle of the night, and there was, it was a confrontation, and they were alone. But the, the, you've heard, we've heard from the union since about how many more assaults they have on bus drivers. We have people getting talking about there was a guy, I think, in the fall who tried to interrupt a fight and ended up getting stabbed, you know, like all sorts of things that are just because of maybe alcohol-infused passengers. So that makes me think that it might be more of a night thing when people talk about safety and their concerns. I don't know. They have tons of confrontations just based on the, the fare collection system and how undependable it is. You have normally rational individuals having confrontations, and they might only be verbal with operators because they should be able to get on the bus and the technology is letting them down. There there are a whole variety of issues at play here. Just like safety is going to be the final frontier in term, in my opinion, as to whether or not downtown achieves its ultimate uh, possibilities. Uh, the only way people start taking transit is if they feel safe and it doesn't feel like second class transportation. Yeah, I don't take the bus anymore and it has nothing to do with whether or not I feel safe. I just, I can't take the bus at 334 in the morning, so I have to drive to work. I have no problem taking the bus. There's a bus stop right outside my apartment, so if I'm going downtown, for example, on a Friday night or whatever, I'll often just take a bus, then I don't have to deal with parking. But uh, I've never... I can't really remember a specific example where I didn't feel safe. There have been times where I've been uncomfortable because there will be people who get on the bus who are clearly intoxicated and they're loud and... They are walking up and down the aisle, and they're they're just being belligerent with people. And sometimes that, that makes me wonder, oh, is this going to escalate? Mm-hmm. It's never reached that kind of a position for me personally. But uh, the cameras, the fact that there's a camera on the bus doesn't make me feel safer. Like, oh, so the camera's there to record yeah. whatever might happen to me. It's not going to, there's no intervention there. And then as far as the shields go... I suppose that'll help the drivers in the event that there is somebody who is getting angry with them at the point of collection. And I feel bad for these drivers who get take the abuse of people who get mad. Like, if your Pego card doesn't work, that's not the driver's fault. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if someone gets on the bus and they don't have money and they're yelling at the driver who won't try to not let them on, well, you don't have the money. So mm-hmm. what do you expect? Well, Get they, off. Well, they approved the shields yesterday. And the union has said in this case of Irvin Jubal Fraser, we know that wouldn't have made a difference. He had a confrontation. He got off the bus. But but for the what, what they're talking about in a bigger picture is the, the shields might help in some circumstances. But what about the passenger then? So they've had a conversation about should we be having transit officers on every single bus? And then the police, you know, should the police have an officer on every single bus? Uh, the police have said that they encourage their police officers, especially downtown, to hop on the bus once in a while and take a short trip. If you're going from point A to B, just get on and go a couple blocks to sort of to instill that safety. So would a person make a difference then? Like a, not a police officer, but a physical person who's kind of wearing that uniform standing Like a there? transit like cop. A, a security guard or whatever, yeah. They have transit uh, officers all over North America. I think they make a difference. I've ridden the subway in New York City and the L train in Chicago and my infant this bus trip in Chicago last summer, and I used to take transit all the time, but it just felt like over the years that the, the, the tension, there's just that little air of tension that, that something isn't quite right when you're on the bus, and you painted a really good picture, mm-hmm. Brett, whether it's it's people who don't want to give up a seat for an elderly or disabled person. Or move all the way to the back of the bus. That causes friction as well. You'll have the the driver telling people to move back to the bus. Some people don't want to. And then other passengers like, hey, buddy, move to the back of the bus. There's all sorts of things that that, that make it feel just not the way it ought to. Three million for those shields. What would be the cost of a transit officer on every bus, though? (laughs) 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Oh my goodness, we are very excited right now <laughs> because it is La Poutine Week. It has begun, it's on until the 7th, and we have last year's winner, St. James Burger and Chip Co. at 1866 Ness Avenue. Last year they won with the Shepherd's Pie Poutine, and they brought in food. We were expecting, we were told that a poutine was being delivered. Which already had me excited, to be clear. Yeah. One poutine. We were hoping to share a poutine. They brought in 10 burgers for us to try and tons of poutine. So everyone here is feasting on their burgers. And we have three guests with us. On the phone, we have Daniel Gurevich, who was the Le Burger Week ambassador, and he is the local organizer for La Poutine Week. Daniel, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. And in studio, we have the guys from St. James Burger. We have Ravi Rambaran, who is the owner, and Sanjay Supal, who is the manager. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Daniel, you you said you were going to have a a poutine delivered. Boy, did you come through (laughs) with your promise. Oh man, this is all Ravi. This is uh, those guys came through hard with uh, with the burgers and the poutine. But you know what? On days like this, uh, everyone needs a little bit of an extra layer on them. So that's that's great. I'm glad they came through with all the food. So Daniel, let's start with you. Uh, we yet another festival, a food festival of sorts in Winnipeg, La Poutine Week. How many restaurants participating? So we've got just over 80 restaurants participating this year. So great turnout, Uh, you know, it being our second year for Poutine Week, but we've obviously been doing Burger Week for a few years now, too. So the uh, I think the hype has been ramping up. But, uh, yeah, we're we're pumped. We've got all all different kinds of restaurants, both uh, in the city and uh, in rural Manitoba as well. A couple of years ago when I was in Montreal, I got to taste Poutine in Quebec and it was fantastic mm-hmm. experience. Do you know how the traditionalists feel about all these extra toppings and how Poutine has become this, basically yeah. this meal all within itself? You know what? I, I would even consider myself one of those those traditionalists or purists when it comes to uh, Poutine and, and other foods, to be honest. You know what? I think that there's room for everybody's interpretation at the end of the day. I think... Uh, you do need the staples, you know, potatoes, you need cheese curds, you need gravy. I think, uh, you know, if there's no curds, I really start to struggle a little bit. But at the same time, I get it. You know, people need to uh, need to think outside the box and, and be creative when it comes to these things. So, and You mentioned 80 restaurants. Um, where do you get the list of these restaurants? I'm on the La Poutine Week website right now, and it's still showing, it looks like last year's poutine. So where do I find the, the list? Oh, no, LaPoutineWeek.com. If you just go click on the drop-down menu, go to uh, Winnipeg, and you'll have all the restaurants, including, uh, well, most of them will have their descriptions up there, as well as photos and location. You can sort them by uh, proximity if you enter in your address, and I'll show you the ones that are closest to you. So all restaurants will be listed at LaPoutineWeek.com. And then that's also where you're going to go and vote for your favorite restaurant uh, after you try uh, the poutines and and go and and, uh, throw a vote down for the ones that you like. Okay, so I'm looking at it now, actually. I just accessed the website. So it, you got the taverns doing something with a, a pierogi poutine as well. Mugatu, mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't know what I'm even looking at there. One looks like it's That's got... Underdogs, yeah. Underdogs. What, what's on that one? Uh, I, you know what? I, if you click on there, you'll have to see the descriptions. I, I don't memorize all of the descriptions. Bacon, mac and cheese, squeezy cheese skirts. Yeah. It is Cheetos. I think that one looks yeah. good, too. Okay, so we yeah. have Ravi. You were the winner. St. James was the winner last year uh, with the shepherd's pie, poutine. This, oh, good call. It feels like potato and gravy is just really the yeah, way to go. Yeah, it all fit together really nice. <laughs> it did. It okay, did. so this year you're doing, tell me about this year's. We're doing the pierogi poutine. Uh, basically, that that's your standard poutine. It's got our top secret cinnamon salt on it, which is not a secret. Um, and then, but say that again because it's cinnamon. Like when you said that to me, I was surprised because yeah. I, I can sort of taste it, but it didn't jump out immediately. You yeah. know what Jerry Seinfeld says when <laughs> when something tastes really good, and you ask, "What is that?" Inevitably, the answer is cinnamon. There you go. That's right. That's very go. true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. yeah. So, Ravi. And I'm chewing now while I'm talking. So you that want me to take a, over yes, a little bit? <laughs> so, so you, you're 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 incredible. Uh, is it chip stand, burger stand? Took over an iconic Winnipeg location just over a year ago, right? Tell us yeah. where you are. Yeah, we're really excited. We're, we're very close to you guys. We're on Ness Avenue, uh, closer to Polo Park, uh, well, about one block in, on the corner of Ness and Ferry. Um, it's, uh, it's a little popular spot that's been there forever. It was the Red Boot Drive-In, and, um, and we were very, very, very lucky to get our hands on it, and we got it October 2017, just over a year ago, and it's been incredible. It's been incredible. Sanjay, how many people 
are you expecting to see come to your restaurant now because of La Poutine Week? Like, do you get, I guess the question is, do you get increased traffic during weeks like this? Oh, yeah, it gets kind of, like, crazy and uncontrollable at, uncontrollable at times. Like, for Burger Week, it was insane. Like, we had to line up out the door. So I'm not expecting much less for La Poutine Week this year. Well, and Daniel, that's the great thing about these. I mean, we just had uh, Fried Chicken Fest wrap up, and I, I mm-hmm. went to the Tallest Poppy. I'd never been there before, but mm-hmm. because of that, I went there. And now because of La Poutine Week, I get to try St. James Burger, which I would not yet tried. So, like, would you agree that that's one of, the, one of the many great things about these festivals is that people get to, they sort of get that nudge to go to try something new. Absolutely. You know, we want to make sure that uh, there's enough restaurants for everybody to go and try something new. And and we want to make sure that restaurants um, see some new people through their door. You know, the whole goal is for restaurants to obviously thrive and prosper in the city and and, uh, hopefully have some fun while they're doing it and be creative and and, uh, for everyone just to, uh, you know, unite around food because who doesn't love to do that, right? Well, it's keeping me from even talking this morning, but I've managed (laughs) only because I finished my plate am I now chiming in. But I was just eating the pierogi poutine from St. James Burger and Chip Company. Obviously, Burger and Chips is in the title. Was there ever an idea in your mind, Ravi, to not put poutine on the menu or is that just no, an obvious no it's just an obvious when 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 chip is in the title you got to do it you got to do it is there a time and, of day people eat poutine like don't eat poutine uh no we, as soon as we open morning people are evening, coming in for it yeah late night it's like a caesar it's kind of acceptable yeah. at all times of the day <laughs> <laughs> what time do you open sanjay uh well we open at 11 o'clock typically um from wednesday through friday from sunday we're open at 12 at noon and also for Monday and Tuesday. Okay. Now, Daniel, uh, so this wraps up on the 7th. And uh, do you ever hear from restaurants who say, who wish they didn't sign up for it because they simply could not keep up or they couldn't keep their stock? (laughs) Well, we, I mean, we never hear them say we wish they didn't. They just say next year we're going to be more prepared. You know, we had restaurants, uh, I know that uh, for Burger Week, for example, that wiped their whole menu clean and just sold burgers. Or we had, you know, people for Poutine Week that have said that they ran out of what their stock should have been for the week in a day, which is, you know, just great. We we love to hear stories like that. Obviously, we want to make sure that everyone is keeping sane at the same time. But, uh, you know, hopefully the busier, the better for, for restaurants at the end of the day. And, uh, yeah, it's um, it can get a little nuts around restaurants, uh, like Ravi was saying there, you know, it's... Um, Sometimes it seems a little hectic, but hopefully it's a it's a whirlwind, and then the week's done, and then everyone everyone's happy at the end of the day, right? I got to tell you, what I really dig about this is I was in the restaurant business for a long time. I know how competitive mm-hmm. it is, and you bang your head against the wall trying to separate yourself from your competition. But this is fantastic mm-hmm. because it is in a great in a large extent competitors who are working together in order to bring a highlight and to create an event. And, and there's, there's mutual benefits here for everyone involved. And, and I, I think that just indicates that new way of thinking, that new way of marketing in this uh, digital age. Can I, like, I would, yeah, I would agree. I think that, you know, it's uh it's power in numbers. I see restaurants dropping their poutine off to their friends, restaurants for them to try. And I see restaurants, you know, encouraging people to go to other ones that they've tried and other, you know, people posting at other restaurants, even when they're restaurant owners, which is great. You know, we want to see that, uh, that collaboration at the end of the day. That's, that's definitely the goal. It's not, uh, you know, we, we call it a friendly competition. We want everyone just to have a good time and eat as much as possible, essentially. You know, uh, Daniel, I got to give you a huge shout out. Um, number one, bringing everyone together. Number two, we opened in October of 2017. We joined up for Poutine Week, not really knowing what we were in for. And you guys blew the doors off our place. Like ever Great since our first poutine week, number one, we won, which was incredible. But number two, uh, our business has been flying since we signed up with you guys, and it's been incredible. So huge thank you. I never got to thank you over the phone or anything like that. But, yeah, huge, huge thank you. It's been great for us. What do you attribute to uh, that, Ravi? Is that just getting really things happy. people in the door? Like is it because yeah, people came for Poutine Week? Drove, is it the social media aspect of it? They, I don't know. You know, I think it's a number of things. One, they get a, a bunch of media like you like you guys. Uh, number two, they uh, their social media is crazy. Uh, they tag everyone. They support everyone. And, um, and they ask us to do the same for them. So – um, and, and just the amount of new customers that walked in the door was insane. I, like, I can't believe it. Burger week, we were lined up out to our sidewalk. It was incredible. People were waiting an hour and a half for the burgers, and they didn't even mind. 
Wow. Yeah, I think it, yeah. I think it's absolutely brilliant, uh, this cooperation that goes on, especially for the independents who are trying to find their way and to make a name for themselves. And, and clearly that's worked for you and uh, for, for Ravi and Sanjay in this case. Uh, yeah, fantastic uh, concept, Daniel. Yeah, you know what? And I got to give a huge shout out to the folks in Montreal that uh, started Burger Week and everything. Uh, you know, it's almost seven, eight years ago now because uh, they asked me to start to uh, bring it here to Winnipeg. And, and here we are, you know, seven years later with Burger Week and a couple years in on Poutine Week. And it's just been fantastic. And, and honestly, a huge shout out to the restaurants because, uh, you know, we, we do our part on, on the media and social media side of things and try to promote and market it as much as possible. But the restaurants that sign up, that support, that, you know, all the people out there that go and support, uh, everyone that's that's working so hard throughout these weeks, it's uh, it's awesome and, and it's great to see this city, you know, just comes together like this. I think Winnipeg, given the size, it's one of those, uh, one of those cities that were big enough to sustain something like this, but we've got that close-knit community where everyone everyone knows about it and gets behind it, which is, you know, fantastic. If you look at the other cities, some of them are doing good, but Winnipeg is uh, is killing it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of us here for that. Daniel Gurevich is the local organizer for La Poutine Week. Ravi Rambaran is the owner of St. James Burger and Chip Co. on Ness. And Sanjay Supal is the manager of St. James Burger. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks guys. for the invite. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for bringing the food as well. It is wonderful. I haven't even touched this 17-wing burger yet, but I understand there's a fried egg on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was our Burger Week winner. Well, Really? Co- ah, our Burger Week Entry, Entry for 2018. What else oh. is it? Fried egg and what else it is on mayo, it? mayo, lettuce, tomato, pickle. Got your burger patty on there. You have your matza, your bacon, your egg, oh. spicy mayo, our honey barbecue sauce. Romance and Sanjay. Uh, Romance <laughs> Come see us. La Poutine Eight. Week. It's on until the 7th. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB, and thank you for the deluge of text messages we received. In case you're just tuning in, last segment we talked about this restaurant that isn't going to let people, it was going to serve people wearing the, the Make America Great Again hats. Maybe just brilliant marketing on their part to get their name in the news, but it sounded sincere at the time. One of our listeners pointing out, well, if he was so strong about this, why did he delete the tweet? I agree with that. I, I don't like backpedaling. If you're going to make a, if you're going to, if you have a hot take, yeah. stand behind it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to backpedal every time. Yep. It, you know, there are going to be people that disagree with you. Maybe even most people, but if you firmly believe this, then stand up for it. Yep. Don't back down. For sure. And uh, we're getting a whole bunch of texts, including uh, Tim, who says, I have to admit, I question the intelligence of those who wear MAGA hats, but there is no question as to whether they have the right to wear it. Freedom of speech is not always pretty, and in my mind, viewing through any particular lens is just wrong. You either believe in the right or you don't. Yeah, and Gail, uh, maybe uh, Trump's. Pun intended. All the text messages that we got on this, regardless of what the hat says, it is not acceptable to wear a hat in a restaurant. Well, let me. Ask, I want to ask you about this, both of you, because hats now are very much... It, 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 listen, I realize the hat is a practical thing in if you're outside in the sun or whatever, but so many people now wear them as a fashion accessory. It's, it is like a scarf or a necklace or what have you, and they're everywhere, and they don't get taken off... I noticed some, this on the weekends, even during games, right, with the national anthem, because it's no longer really, like, you have to remind yourself that you're not supposed to have it on, at least for O Canada, let alone if you go into a restaurant or that kind of thing. I still think you need to take the hat off when you're, I had, a, I had my friend's mom, uh, to this day, if you walk in her house with a hat on, she is upset about it. You what did you do? Did she just mention it? Hat off. Well, hat off. There's yep. houses that I walk into this very day you. where it gets flicked off my head. Yeah. There's no words. There's no warning. Just boop. Wow. Yep. Now, and McNabb, do you think for any restaurant, like if I will go to a, like a, ba- like a burger place? Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I, 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 a fast food chain for sure. I don't, doesn't, it's different. It's if you're sitting down at a table and someone's coming to serve you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I just it's, but I don't. Know, I, I couldn't tell you why I think a person has to take their hat off, other than that's how I grew up, and so now I sound like an old person who's saying that's how we did it. What's the matter with young kids today? Yeah, so, I don't well, know. And I, I, I wonder. I struggle with that one because it's. I'm wear it like if I wear. Well, recently I bought that hat from Vogue. 
local company, local sportswear company, and, and I so I wear it proudly because it's a locally made hat, and it's just really nice. I think it's so, part of your outfit. What yeah. do you call it when I get dressed up? You call it my getup. What's up with the getup? Or what? <laughs> nice getup. It's part of your getup, right? Yeah, it's part of the getup. So I don't want to take it. Ha- Plus, if you take your hat off and you're at a restaurant. You got, yeah, you got the stupid hat. I always yeah. say that to folks. Like, if you're putting your hat on, be prepared to have to take that off. It's like when I wear a toque, I'm sticking with that toque all day long because yeah. it's not pretty. Yeah, and then uh, I always have to, because my hearing isn't 100%, I always have to lift my toque up just a little bit <laughs> so it's not covering my ears. And then, you know, you look kind of dumber than you already do wearing a toque inside the house or at at work, Loren, you know? So you got to... You gotta, so t- <laughs> You sometimes have to You're make accommodations yes. for that. Yeah, I've come to realize but I, because I've been wearing the toque at work all week that, yeah, it well, stays on. If anybody can wear it and pull it off, inside it's you. I don't think so. No. I don't, but I just need it. I need it. It might not be political, politically correct in this day and age, but I think you look adorable with the toque uh, on your head. How's delightful. that? What a morning. I've had poutine. I've had a burger. I've been called adorable. There you go. I'm now going to have to run 6,000 football fields to burn that all off. Well, and that's just it. The Super Bowl, of course, on Sunday. And with the Super Bowl comes tons of eating. For example, case in point, there's a, a fun fact we learned about chicken wings in the Super Bowl. Global News has learned... <laughs> billion chicken wings will be eaten during the Super Bowl. This is according to the National Chicken Council. Billion? Billion. Yeah. And that's just in the United States. 1.38 billion chicken wings. The way you prefaced that, it sounded as though we had a team of reporters working on this for the last several months to get this number. It's a special investigation. Yes. Global news exclusive. (laughs) That's a lot of chicken. And it's just the, the the part, right? You have the drummies and you have the little wings. There's a lot of chicken that you're not using. Where does the rest of that chicken goes? It delves into where does the rest of the chicken go in oh, that report? All over the world. Feathers go to China predominantly. There's part of the, the chicken breast typically stays in the United States. There are other places around the world that prefer different anatomies of the chicken and okay. in terms of their... I, yeah. I was worried that you were going to say it goes like in the ocean or something terrible oh, like that. Maybe some of it does, but, but no, that's uh, all right. not according to this report well, anyway. Another email we got this week was from a doctor in the States talking about the calorie costs of the food we eat at Super Bowl. So the chicken wings, for example, this doctor has broken down how much you have to burn to after you've eaten some of the snacks. I really wish I had not seen this email. So Thanks a lot. 10 buffalo crispy chicken wings with blue cheese dressing yes. equals 150 minutes of climbing the stadium stairs. 150 minutes. So that's two hours, two and a half hours up and down those stairs. That's basically the whole game. You're just, yeah. you can't even sit in your seat. You, you have to just keep walking the stairs. You yep. the dressing caloric suicide. So what? Caloric suicide. Caloric suicide. Blue cheese? Yeah, it's oh, the blue cheese dressing. And then he has this great advice. Go skinless and bake them instead of frying. But that's not why you're yeah. having them. No, thanks. What about this? Three slices, and they specifically cite Pizza Hut. Three slices of Pizza Hut Pepperoni Lovers Large Original Pan Slice. In order to burn that off, you need to run the length of 144 football fields. So his the, the math on that is that they're 460 calories per slice. And then each football field would be 100 yards each, but you'd also have to run at a speed of five miles per hour. <laughs> so you also have to do it relatively fast. I know neither one of you guys like potato chips. Oh, no, I hate So them. this won't hurt you at all, yes. or, uh, at all. Two handfuls of potato chips equals 30 minutes of cheerleading. Eat Each handful is about an ounce, so two handfuls of chips is about 300 calories. Oh, and if you add just two tablespoons of onion dip, that's 60 calories. Uh, that's another six minutes. Give me 36 minutes of cheerleading now. Another good tip, though, just eat a handful. Don't eat the whole bag. Yeah. So Says no one ever. I would have to cheerlead for uh, an entire <laughs> week because usually when I eat chips, it's an entire giant bag of uh, rippled chips, old Dutch ripple, yes. and then yeah. uh, a thing of onion dip. So mm. like a full tub of sour cream and onion soup. 
You, had, you, you discovered a hell of a dip last weekend, didn't you? Yeah, I did because I didn't want to make the dip. I, I, I sort of, I went, I took the convenient route. The but hell now of a dip. you'll never make it again. Once no, you I, a hell I of a still dip. prefer. You're a homemade, yeah. Yeah, I prefer the to make the dip. But well, I prefer not knowing that I need to run a thousand football fields after I've eaten something. So thanks, Doctor. The diet detective Charles Platkin. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of this because I'm going to eat what I want. I think it's a good thing you didn't join us on the program. We may have uh, ended our relationship rather quickly and on not good terms. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us in the start today on 680 CJOB. And usually I set up the segment, but Greg, uh, you're the you're the guy. You're the voice of the Mega Million Choices Lottery. So. Yeah, and to many chagrin, uh, the face and the and the and the body too. <laughs> oh, come on. at times. So um, yeah, we are in the heart of. This uh, drive to, well, first of all, someone's going to become a millionaire, and uh, why not you? As they say at the Red River X, you can't win if you don't play. StBMegamillionChoices.ca to get your tickets and to see all the grand prize options. But this is about stories. We tell stories on the Health Report every Sunday, whether it's stories about the research taking place on campus at St. Boniface Hospital, at either the Albrechtson Research Center, the Asper Research Center, or patient stories or relationships that have been created between practitioners and patients who are grateful for the care that they received. And when we featured Anne Rail's story and, and her husband Alan's story, their entire family really last Sunday, I pronounced it the ultimate pay it forward. When Anne's husband Alan became ill, he went to St. Boniface Hospital for diagnosis. Unfortunately, the news was terrible. He had cancer. And and her family spent a lot of time in St. Boniface Hospital's ICMS. We were talking off air about what that translates into for most of us. Most of us, it's the ICU, the intensive care unit. And there's a family room there. And the Rail family spent lots of time there during her husband's last days. Even though they found comfort in the space, things can always be improved. And with that in mind, the Rails decided to give back to the hospital to work on a renovation of the family room so others can also find comfort there during dark days. Working with the staff at ICMS, the family has generously found innovative solutions for updating the room. Out of tragedy comes healing, and that's really the the message here, isn't it? And that Alan's memory will live on, and, well, you're doing this uh, in his honor. Uh, Yes, and thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, come in this morning and talk to you about it again. Uh, Yes, uh, the St. Boniface Hospital certainly has a big place in the hearts of my children and myself now after having been through uh, a number of days there with my husband. As you were saying, he received an unfortunate diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, actually from the time that he was diagnosed last year on January 17th the 29th when he passed away was 12 days so we didn't have a lot of time to process that you're just scrambling to take information in and hear what the doctors are telling you he uh, was lucky enough to have had an outpatient procedure at the hospital that was our first experience there and they were tremendously helpful the doctor came in actually ahead of his day and performed a procedure for Alan that helped them and we hoped for the best. For a while, we knew it wasn't going to be an optimistic outcome in the end, but we thought we would get, obviously, some more time. As the week progressed, his health deteriorated, and we did end up in St. Boniface ER on the 27th of January for two days and then and ultimately ended up in the uh, ICU ward. So for those of us who don't know, what once you're in that experience, um, it's, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but when you talk about the family room and what you would have used it for, can you talk a little bit about what, what brought you into it in the first place? Was it just a space to go to have conversations? And then, and what stood out to you as later made you think, oh, I should, we should, we should do something about this? Uh, yes, the area is actually not that big. And when you go up onto the ward, I, I it's my first experience being in the ICU area. When you see it on TV, it's very romanticized. And, uh, you know, you don't think about it until you get there. And then it just hits you like a ton of bricks. When you go up to the ward, you can't get on until 
Uh, you phone, there's a little phone in the area. You have to phone the desk in the, in the ward. They tell you when you can come back to see your loved ones. Sometimes it's immediately. Sometimes you have to wait a while while they're being stabilized. In our case, we did have to wait a few minutes. And uh, so we didn't really think too much of the, the uh, family room at the time. And then we were in with my husband off and on during the day. And we had other family members coming in from out of town to, to see him because we knew that things weren't doing going to be a positive outcome for that day. And so my, my children and I were in and out of that area often during the day while we let other family members into CL. And, and we began to hear stories of other people there and how long they'd been there and realized uh, there's things here that could be done. For example, when I went in, I just grabbed my cell phone at 5 o'clock in the morning and got a call from the doctor, came in. I didn't have my power cord with me to charge up my phone. My daughter had had a baby six weeks prior, and they came in. We had nowhere to change little Asher. And I, when I started talking to the people in the area that were sitting there, there was nowhere to sit or sleep, really. There were some nice chairs, but the couches were probably about mm-hmm. two feet long. But if you have to stay here overnight, where are you going to sleep? So that kind of started the the seeds in our mind. Well, that room becomes mission control, mm-hmm. right, for the family. Well, you in terms mentioned of the phone, and you, you need to reach out and talk to people. Right. You might want to research something on your phone or, or whatever, right? And to not even be able to plug it in. It's a, it seems like a little thing, but it's a huge thing. Yes, exactly. And actually, after we uh, put it in, we were talking with Greg last week, and we found out that it's the first cell phone charger they've put into the hospital. So they were very excited that this was something uh, my son Scott and my daughter Caitlin and I recognized as a need in that area. And so it made us excited to hear we've put something in that hopefully starts uh, a tradition of maybe putting other things in that other people start to look Anne's being very modest. Mm -hmm. It's not like just a power cord. It's one of those cell phone charging lockers that you might see at a shopping mall. Uh, They made sure that the the, the room was repainted and these sleeper chairs uh, are fantastic. And I think you made sure there are two and a third one maybe on the way, Anne, and uh, the change table. And it's just took it upon themselves to say, hey, we, we, we need to fix this. And I think it's such a powerful message. And when we talk about the lottery, the question always comes up, why do we have to have a lottery in support of the hospital? We know the government can't do anything, and this is an opportunity for the public you know, to get in on a lottery where they might become a millionaire, but also give the foundation who you've worked so closely with an opportunity to give different parts of the research center of the hospital the equipment that they might not otherwise have. And there's a responsibility, I think, that some of us feel to say, yeah, the community needs to step in. And and you did this in a major fashion. We did. And I was saying to you last week, I feel that it takes a village, as they say, to raise a child. It also takes this village to help uh, support a hospital. It's my favorite hospital in the city. I've been at every one of them, but this one is dearest to my heart. I was born there. My grandson was born there and had a number of occasions to be at that hospital and I think as uh, a community, we have uh, the ability to help pay it forward. And while we may have not collected millions of dollars, our amount of money, we were able to combine it with donations from a lot of family and friends who also wanted to honor Alan with us, which was so appreciated. And small dollars put together made a big impact. And I think sometimes we don't recognize uh, how much we need to also uplift the the people that are in there supporting their loved ones that are going through a terrible time. That's what we looked at. Not We knew that Alan was well looked after. He had angels on the ward that day. There was amazing equipment there. We thought sitting there talking in that room, it's like a small community and we just, they need support. What can we do to help them feel better about being there? So we wanted to pay it for it and make sure that people coming after us had a comfortable place to stay and be more comforted. When I lost Alan and came out and there was no place to cry, you were in the hallway crying in the hall because the family room itself wasn't that big. There were children in there and there was a little room where we ended up putting the change table. So we thought if we make that more comforting and put a chair in there as well, it gives you the opportunity to go in there and do that in private or make a phone call, whatever you need to do. It's it's such an intense experience being up there. You say the room wasn't that big. How big was the family room? 
I'm really bad at numbers. <laughs> numbers. Well, Greg, have you, have you seen the room? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, you know, I only Anne and I commiserated about about the. I know you said not much my, bigger than this, though. Yeah, so, so what maybe, are we in? Maybe about 500 square feet at the very most. Yeah, uh, yeah not gigantic at all. You so a, a space where, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us have been, whether mm-hmm. at St. B or other hospitals. I was just going to add that I think it's remarkable that you've had this experience and had your husband diagnosed and and then pass away within less than two week period. And to hear you say that the St. B's a place that's near and dear to your heart, a lot of people would walk away out of that and, and go out of their way to probably avoid that hospital because it might also trigger something different. And so you've decided to, to look at it a different way. Yes, we have. I, to honor him and uh, continue to keep him in our, in our memory and in our hearts. And it's helped me going into that hospital. I've had a number of reasons to be in the hospital over the last year. And it does help in the healing process. I mean, you're never totally healed, but it has given me uh, something to focus on and uh, help help others and continue that. And Rail joining us live on 680 CJOB. And your generous donations can help the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, particularly through the Mega Million Choices Lottery. And in fact, Greg, you're going to be on location today. I will be at the Everett Atrium from 1 till 5 this afternoon. Come on down and say hi. Get your tickets. Uh, midnight tonight, it's the cutoff for the loyalty bonus, all sorts of bonus winning. It's the first of several special cutoffs. So as I always say, you know you're going to buy a ticket. You might as well get it now because that way you're in on all the extra winning as we build up towards the draw for the grand prize uh, up to 1.1 million dollars cash some incredible prize options and uh, it's a genuine win 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 even if you don't win a single thing and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us yet again it is such a positive story inspiring uplifting there are lots of superlatives to describe what you and your family have done you are a genuine gift thank you and thank you for the opportunity st b mega million choices.ca or you can call 204-256-7203 or toll free 1-855-256-7203 Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.